0: This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is prerecorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker Apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer
1: excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a
0: union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. Listen to The Labor and Energy Show and get educated from expert guests about climate change. What they say and who they are will surprise you. Presented by PBF Energy, Neuter Construction, and Furness Electrical Contractors. The Labor and Energy Show, this Sunday night at 6.
2: And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too.
0: Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show Special, exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery, in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon this is the labor and energy show bringing labor leaders national experts and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like rins and reggie while explaining the truth about energy independence welcome to the labor and energy show with jay doc and krause
1: and welcome everyone to another edition of the labor and energy show with jay doc and krause glad to be here and bring to everyone Uh, Another summit, J-Doc, and as we transition into 2023 and you look back to 2022, we were able to collectively, um, at different times during our first year, bring to the listening audience uh, a summit of experts. Uh, They were so valuable and so meaningful. Uh, We're kicking off 2023 in the early part of year two with a great summit lineup today.
3: Absolutely, Joe. Uh, certainly, we like you said. Uh, you know, this is uh, I think the fifth summit in a, in a you know in, in our series. Uh, certainly, you know we you know, if we've had Dave Callahan and the shale natural gas industry, we've had Kathleen Sagama and and the Western Energy Alliance, and, and we've had the refinery uh, summit. And I couldn't be happier now to to welcome everybody into the to the uh, Labor and Energy Trade Organization Leadership Summit. Uh, lots. The goal of our summits, as you know is to better educate the general public, our labor community, and our uh, political leaders uh, in layman's terms, in, in, in common sense and energy, so we can change the, the narrative. And today, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna have a conversation uh, from the top in order to better, better educate our listeners on the benefits that our domestic energy industry provides. Uh, we, you know, we're gonna highlight a lot of things people may not know, and we're gonna do it by introducing our listeners to leaders from the different segments of our domestic oil and gas industry for a roundtable discussion on the importance and contribution of America's traditional energy sector.
1: One uh, quick programming note for our listening audience as we get started here on the Labor and Energy Show. Throughout the show, as we take a break towards the bottom of the hour, uh, you'll hear our new uh, energy alerts, our action alerts uh, pay attention to those details, and of course, if you miss any of today's show, or if you want to go back and re-listen to the show, uh, you can find the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Just search The Labor and Energy Show. J-Doc, over to you. Let's get started, brother. So
3: I'm, I'm ecstatic to uh, introduce our guest, Chet Thompson, President and CEO of American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. Chet, how are you, sir? I'm
2: fantastic. Thanks for having me.
3: It's it's our pleasure. Uh, certainly, Kathleen's uh, a no no stranger to to the broadcast, president of the Western Energy Alliance. Catherine, how are you?
4: I'm great. Thanks for having me on, J-Doc.
3: It's our pleasure. And Dave Callahan, president of Marcelo Shell Coalition, uh, who is a regular on the broadcast. Dave, how are you, sir?
5: Doing great, Joe Doc. It's great to be with you today.
3: It, it's, it's great to have you. And I'd like to, if you would, it, it briefly have each of you uh, introduce your organizations as well as the members, uh, You know who you represent, and a brief overview of the products and resources uh, they
2: produce. Chet, if you will, first. Well, uh, I'm proud to represent the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, very sexy name, uh, also known as AFPM. And uh, our members are, as the name implies, we're the US refining industry on the one hand. So we take uh, the, the crude oil that Kathleen's members produce and we actually turn it into products that folks can use. Think gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, Uh, heating oil etc but we also represent the petrochemical industry so we take the 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 products um that dave's members produce and, and we turn it into the base petrochemicals that literally make modern life possible so afpm one of the oldest trade associations uh in the in the nation we've been around since 1902 proudly representing the industry through many ups and downs and i should also give a shout out now that so we have refining members pet chem members and Just recently, we opened it up to midstream members. So we also represent the folks that get uh, feed to our plants and products to consumers all across the country. Thank you, Chet. uh, Kathleen, if you will.
4: Well, I don't know, Chad. I think that sounds pretty sexy after all. You um, <laughs> guys taking our oil and natural gas and turning it into petrochemicals and um, gasoline, you know, it wouldn't be of much use to the American people. So we represent oil and natural gas producers in the Rocky Mountain West. Um, we are focused on all of those issues like public lands issues, tribal issues, environmental issues that affect uh, the producer at the well pad.
3: And Dave Callahan?
5: Thanks again. Um, I'm president of the Marcella Shale Coalition, or MSC for shorthand. We're a statewide trade organization with members from all over Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, nationwide, and a few international members as well. We represent companies at the upstream level of the natural gas industry, the midstream level, and downstream, and all the companies and, and, uh, and entities that provide products, and professional services to the unconventional natural gas industry. So when you think about somebody who is either drilling for natural gas in Pennsylvania, processing that natural gas, transporting that natural gas, and to a certain extent using it, you're probably talking about a member of the MSC. And I'd be remiss if I wouldn't mention that among our members, including, again, in that category of those who provide products and services to the industry, I'm extremely proud that we have uh, some construction uh, trade unions who are members of the MSC as well. Um, the bond is great. Our purpose is aligned and I'm extremely proud to have them to be a part of the, the organization.
3: Thank you, Dave. And, and, you know, you mentioned obviously having our labor union community uh, in, involved in the organization. Uh, the, our summits, the labor and energy summit. So we uh, talk about a, a lot of labor re- related energy issues. Um, and so let's talk, and expand on, on uh, the introductions. Um, certainly uh, jobs and, and production as related to each of your industries. Let's start with the upstream. Uh, Kathleen, uh, your, your, your members uh, are, are the oil and gas producers. Uh, the process of successfully you know, finding an oil and drilling uh, an oil well is, pretty, is a pretty in-depth process. Uh, round table figures so our listeners can understand the magnitude. How much oil and gas are your members producing per year?
4: Oh, producing per year. Um, I'm not sure I have an exact figure for that, but I think you touched on the fact that, you know, it's it's the companies at the wellhead. Um, so there are the producers themselves who employ hundreds of thousands of people in the West, but then there are thousands of little companies also involved in the whole production, because, you know, you need the company that's going to move the dirt to produce the well pad. You need the company that's going to drill, uh, the actual, do the actual drilling, then the completion comes in those. So those service companies, um, and they employ thousands and thousands of people as well, hundreds of thousands of people. And then you need the, uh, pumper that comes in, you know, the water hauler, all kinds of different, um, Companies and all kinds of different jobs are involved. And I would mention many very high-tech jobs. I mean, we're a industry of um, engineers and geologists, um, pipe fitters, and I, you know, just all kinds of skilled trades and skilled um engineers. So it's a very high-tech industry now. We drill down two miles, uh you know, we drill down several miles, and then we drill across um, horizontally a mile or two miles. And so we do with one horizontal well, what um, you know, eight 16 wells used to do in the past. So we're getting more production from a single well, we're doing it on less land and we're employing thousands of Americans here instead of um, you know, sending those jobs overseas. And,
3: and when you talk about that, that, that you know, the land itself, uh, you know, the value of what is going on when you produce oil, You're paying royalties to either landowners, private landowners, or the federal government, depending upon who owns the
4: land. Is that correct? That's right. And then, of course, there are taxes, lots of different taxes we pay, state severance taxes, property taxes, um, obviously federal income taxes as well, on top of those royalties and the like.
3: Yeah. And so having said that, what, what, what does that mean for not only, obviously, the federal coffers, but the communities in which you operate?
4: You know, that's right. There are um, most of our production out here in the West is in very remote areas. So we have counties um, that are very um, small counties um, with but with that depend heavily on the industry. Or um, we have tribes that are the oil and gas producing tribes out in the West, like the uh, Southern Utes, like the Navajo, like the three affiliated tribes in North Dakota. So we're developing um, tribal minerals as well that sustain tribal communities and tribal members. So
3: when you look at the production, is there a percentage in, in, in regards to the uh, how much production occurs on uh, the, the private land versus the public land? Is there... A percentage?
4: It it varies from state to state because we have states um, like uh, uh, Colorado is about 35 percent federal lands. Um, Utah is up to 67 percent federal lands. Wyoming is very high as well. So in the West, it's very difficult not to touch federal or tribal minerals at some point, even if you try to develop completely from um, private lands, often with the interlocking land ownerships, you're going to hit some federal lands or minerals. And so um, overall, we produce in the United States about 10 percent of our oil and natural gas from federal lands.
3: And how does that impact, uh, you know, from from a, um, a, a tax base and an economical base, that the difference between, uh, you, you know, when we are hit, when we are drilling on federal lands, what does that bring to our to our country?
4: Um, Onshore, we provide about five billion dollars in royalties. If you combine that with offshore and onshore federal production, it's something like uh, I believe it's around ten billion dollars in royalties to the federal um, treasury every year. And then that you know doesn't include the taxes and the like that we pay, income taxes to the IRS, that type of thing.
3: So so let's segue Dave to, to, to Dave Cowan. Dave, similar questions. Um, first, if you will, give us a top line on what Shell means for for Pennsylvania and Appalachia in terms of uh, jobs and and the economy contribution? Sure.
5: I mean, you asked about production. Uh, The last calendar year we have available to us, 2021, Pennsylvania produced about 7.5 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Again, uh, that's the standard measure of cubic feet. But a good way to think about this is that that's enough natural gas to uh, provide natural gas to roughly 100 million homes in the United States. That's significant. Pennsylvania has gone from producing, you know, before the shale revolution, less than, you know, 5% or 25% of its own needs to producing a little over 20% of all the gas that the United States overall produces. And when you combine us with our neighbors in Ohio and uh, West Virginia, where the Marcellus and Utica underlay these uh, three states, Appalachia, these Appalachian states are the number one producing region in America. And if we were a separate country, we'd be uh, number three in the entire world. And so you asked Kathleen about royalties. Um, those are significant because unlike other countries, private citizens by and large um, own the royalties. So when there are proposals out there to restrict access to land, to restrict access or, or uh, limit or prohibit uh, companies from developing those resources, um, you're, you're holding back. Uh, uh, you know the ability of people to capitalize on the resources that they own. Private citizens, uh, from a jobs uh, perspective, roughly a, a couple hundred thousand jobs associated with the industry. And uh, you've heard me say it before. I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, the industry employs people with qualifications ranging from a GED to a PhD, and uh, and everything in between. Uh, Federal Department of Energy data that was gathered uh, during the prior administration showed that wages in the industry are roughly $112,000. And when you knock out supervisory positions, average wages are $88,000. These are family sustaining jobs, community sustaining jobs as well.
3: And and, and you talk about the impact in the surrounding communities. Uh, You know, you talk, obviously we, 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 we're talking about the jobs that, that, that stem from the actual, uh, you, you know, the, the, the workforce, but talk about the surrounding communities.
5: Sure. There's, there's the direct jobs involved in whether it's uh, clearing land for a well pad, drilling the well, completing the well, putting the pipelines in. But, you know, when, when you think about everything that has to happen, the coordination, it's almost like a, like a big dance where all the steps have to be organized in order to be in tune and with the music. These are, there are jobs involved directly, but these people need uh, you know, FR clothing. They need boots. They need to be well-fed. They need transportation. There are so many ancillary services and ancillary supports to the industry that extend well beyond the communities in which they happen. One quick thing I will note, Kathleen talked a little bit about taxes. We have a special tax in Pennsylvania called the impact fee that's assessed on production here on every well uh, in the state. Uh, It's based on the number of wells. It's based on the number of wells drilled. Um, Last year, that impact fee generated $234 million. This year, it's going to be even higher. Since its inception, it's generated about $2.3 billion. And what's important, though, is the majority of those funds go to communities in the Commonwealth. They go to local governments, and they support environmental programs. They support capital projects. This is the industry dollars being put to use in communities.
3: Absolutely. And Chet, let, let's talk uh, about where your members fit in here. Kathleen um, and, and Dave's members produce the resource out of the ground. Uh, your members manufacture that energy into usable products. Uh, again, uh, roundabout figures, but talk about uh, you, know, uh, you know, a roundabout estimate. How many refineries are, are in the US and, 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 and how much fuel? Do they produce obviously not exact, you know, to be exact. But we're trying to, uh, you know, kind of, you know, touch on the magnitude of of, of the industry.
2: Well, first, let me say the, the the great work that Dave and Kathleen's members do. You know, it's it's awesome just sitting here listening to what they say, and we certainly couldn't do our our thing without them. uh Like the, their products or our, you know, the feed to refiners in order it you know, allows us to make all the things that we make for our consumers. So as far as the number of refineries, we have about 130 operable refineries in the United States today. I would say of that 130, about 122 are, you know, actually operating this second today. Uh, We are about 18 million barrels a day at capacity. So for your listeners, that's that's how much crude oil we can take into the refinery gates to be put into our crude distillation columns every day, 18 million uh, barrels. That converts to about nine million barrels a day of gasoline, five million barrels a day of diesel, and about two million barrels a day of jet fuel. So we, you know, we're 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 basically taking for every three barrels of, of crude we take in, you know, we make another three barrels, two barrels on average of gasoline, a barrel of diesel and and distillate. So we have a hundred and like I say, 30 refineries scattered around the country, certainly a lot in the Gulf, but we have some on the East coast, we have them on the West coast and we have them in between. We have 70,000 men and women, which make the industry awesome, uh, that work directly for our facilities and for every person directly employed on, on average, we have about 40 folks, additional folks, you know, that support the industry. So, you know, we think we have about 3 million men and women today that are, you know, directly or indirectly affiliated with the industry. And Jed, I you mentioned the communities. You know, one of the pleasures of my job is to visit the refineries around the country and the communities. And, you know, it's, it's awesome to see our refineries support the communities. But more importantly, you know, the communities support the refineries. Uh, our folks live within the communities. We care about the communities. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great story and we see it, uh, you know, all the time.
1: It's the yeah. labor. It's the labor and energy show with Jay Dock and Krause, Chet Thompson, the president and CEO of American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, uh, Kathleen Sagama, president of the Western Energy Alliance, and Dave Callahan, Callahan, president of the Marcella Shale Coalition. Our special guest on this uh, summit today, boy, gentlemen, uh, and Kathleen, I've got to say, as I sit and listen to the comments, um, and I consume what you're saying as if I'm a listener, listening to this show, um, I have to wonder, why is this industry under siege? Because the ramification or the fallout to all of us is so monumental. It's hard for me to wrap my arms around it when I hear it uh, in the context of what you say. Dave, what's your thought? <laughs>
5: uh, that's the $64,000 question, I believe. But you know, what's not to support about an industry that has made this country energy secure for the first time in generations? Yeah, each and every one of us can, can recall presidents from both sides of the aisle saying that we need to be energy independent. We need to be energy secure. We've achieved that. And we've achieved that through the domestic energy industry. We've achieved that with providing reliable supplies of energy, generally low cost supplies of energy. And in the process of doing so, we've achieved great environmental results as well. The air's never been cleaner. The industry is operating at peak performance. We employ safety and environmental professionals who are doing their job each and every day to make improvements, to continually improve, improve upon what we do. So, with you, Krause, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm confused as well. What's not to like? What's not to support? And oh, by the way, what about all the jobs that we're providing in the process of that? Great jobs for the skilled tradesmen and women. Uh, great jobs, again, that are supporting families and communities all across the board, all across the nation.
3: Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned obviously uh, safety and environmental uh, standards. Um, let's talk about that. There's so many misconceptions. Uh, in, in regards to uh, when you talk about energy, when you talk about uh, each of your industries. Uh, let's talk about the priorities of each of your industries and maintaining the highest levels of environmental standards necessary, particularly in comparison to our foreign overseas counterparts. Kathleen Sagama.
4: Yeah, there's just really no comparison. I mean, other than maybe Norway and Canada, um we produce oil and natural gas so much more sustainably than Russia or Saudi Arabia, Venezuela. Um, We have strict environmental standards and the industry innovates. Um, We want to get more efficient. We want to be able to produce more energy at a lower cost. And that involves also at a lower environmental footprint. Because if we can use less water, for example, we have to pay for every barrel of water, fresh water that we use. So we have a huge incentive because it's very expensive. Um, We have a huge incentive to reuse water, reduce the use of it, um, recycle it, reuse it and um, manage that water safely. So there's an economic reason to be more environmentally protective and there's it's just the right way to do. I think what gets lost um from the environmental lobby who likes to attack oil and gas as if it's a demon is that you know decades ago we adopted an environmental ethic just as the society has overall. So you know, we want to produce it with less impact. And the the good news is that it's that technological innovation that does it. I already mentioned horizontal drilling. Um, We can replace several wells on the surface with one horizontal well, that's less footprint on the land. When we're more efficient from that horizontal well, um, that means fewer air emissions, we can be more efficient with water use, per unit of production. So all of these things are done um, because it's the right thing to do, but also it makes economic sense. So instead of having this suspicion about the industry, I think environmental groups and environmentalists and the average person should be happy that we are, uh, we do live that environmental ethic every day. And, and
3: having said that, when we talk about, you know, getting, you know Joe Carlson, mentioned, obviously, um, you know, we should be embracing our industries. And educating ourselves more, really, what the heck is going on? Um, Chet Thompson, talk about you know our, our, our uh, you know and traditional energy sectors leadership uh, and and our and our energy communities as as, as a whole. Is there a a, a consciousness um, you know in regards to our environment? Because when you listen to you know the the far left, and you know like like Kathleen said, not only educating. That, you know, the, the environmentalists, but our general public and our political leaders. Um, the misnomer is that our leadership doesn't care. Talk about that and, and talk about, you know, the, the the consciousness that you have from a leadership standpoint uh, in regards to our environment.
2: Well, Jdoc, thanks for the question. And look, let me echo what Kathleen and, and Dave said. No, nothing is more important to our memberships than the safety of our workforce and our communities and how we treat the environment. And, you know, by, by way of background, you know, I was 20 years environmental lawyer, three at the Environmental Protection Agency before I joined AFPM. And, you know, you know, the, my membership made it clear to me that that background was critically important to, to my role here because it's critically important to them. So safety, you know, of the 500 manufacturing sectors tracked by the Department of Commerce every year, refining a petrochemical top five safest places to work. It's safer to work at a, at a refinery or pet camp than about any other place in this country. And we do that because of our absolute commitment. Environmentally, same thing. Our, our you know, criteria emissions, our basic emissions are down more than 70% over the last 10 years or so. And that's because of about $100, $100 billion worth of investment that the industry has put back into becoming more efficient uh, more environmentally uh, clean, et cetera. Uh, not only has our emissions gone down, JDOC, but the products we make. We're making higher gasoline fuel, which makes the automobile cleaner than ever before. The average automobile is about 90% more efficient and cleaner than just a couple decades ago. Our petrochemical products, you know, are used for water purification. They're used to make your house, uh, you know, uh, you know more efficient we're reducing emissions across the board so i stand up proudly uh, every day uh, to talk about the benefits that our our members bring society and the fact that we do it in a sustainable way and our and we're not done you know when you look at in the last year we've made about six billion dollars of investment as we make a, a further move into uh biomass based diesel renewable diesel uh you know we're we're supporting you know things that lower further uh, the emissions footprint of, of the products we we make, and we're just getting started. We're just you know we're just starting to venture into carbon capture, use, and sequestration, and other things to continue our march. Our goal at AFPM within our members is to meet the dual challenge of providing the fuel and the petrochemicals we know the world needs to thrive, but to do so in an ever sustainable way. So, it is a commitment. It's a real commitment, and. Most importantly, you know, we put, uh, you know, our data matches our rhetoric.
1: The Labor and Energy Show with Doc and Krause. We'll take a short commercial break. Back in
0: a moment. This is a Labor and Energy Action Alert.
1: Did you know the Pennsylvania Water Resource Act, if passed, will charge Pennsylvania businesses for water usage integral to the operation of the businesses, many of which that provide PA residents with vital services. The expenses of charging for such water usage will be astronomical and may jeopardize the operations of the businesses themselves as well as jobs. Take action now. Subscribe to www.gov.net. To track this legislation and call your PA state representatives and voice your opinion to oppose the Pennsylvania Water Resource Act, quality PA businesses and good paying jobs depend on it.
0: First charted in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager.
6: PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. This
0: program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's labor and energy special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United
1: Steelworkers. And welcome back one to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. A special edition of the Labor and Energy Show. Jay Doc, I love when we pull together uh, and we deliver for the listening audience a of because I think it provides some depth. I think it provides um, some real understandable information uh, that the audience needs. And, and quite frankly, I don't think they quite understand. I think they get lost in the smoke. Uh, and lost in the details, um, and the summit uh, really does clarify or bring some clarity to it.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and and, and it, it's funny because many times, and you know, by the way, I've said it a hundred times. you always ask me why I say it. we're labor Democrats, Joe. Okay, um, you know we we work in in, in in you know in the refineries and the plants and all those things. We care about the uh, you know the narrative and 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 uh, and the environment and all those things. And but until. You and I ran into the situation several years ago at at the PES refinery in South Philadelphia. We were just like everybody else. And the the reason why is people aren't hearing the entire story. Uh, Not only aren't they hearing, they're just hearing one side. And my thought process is it takes a little bit of education and information to bring, you know, some consciousness to reality. And so having said that, one of the things we were talking about – when, when, Chet, you know, when we were going into the break, was safety. And, and we're not going to stay on it much longer, but I do want to touch on one thing. Um, the, uh, the safety of, of, of the communities around the facilities, okay? We, you know, our, our union workforce and uh, all of our, you know, our refinery, we, there was a fire at the PES refinery, one unit out of 33, okay? Not one person got injured. Everybody was educated. Everybody was prepared. The, the community around the, the the refinery was unblemished, and it was unbelievable. Yet they shut it down, anyway. Uh, and which, which put that's where Joe and I got involved, and in where the twilight zone, you know, kind of hit us. Having said that, I, 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 just and just for thirty seconds, if possible, and I'll I'll go to Kathleen, to, to, to if you will. Kathleen, um, talk about the 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 priority of safety around our uh, you know our, our facilities, our work sites, the whole deal, and our record on safety in our communities, in the vicinities.
4: Yeah, companies take it very seriously. They have daily safety briefings. Safety is top of mind. It's the most important issue on the well site. Um, we don't want to lose anyone. We don't even want a minor injury on site. Um, companies protect their safety record very closely. And even just a minor injury mars uh, mars your safety record with OSHA. So um, companies, you know, they're 200 days since a safety incident or whatever, um, because they want safety to be top of mind every single day.
3: And having said that, you know, the surrounding, we, we mentioned this, uh, surrounding communities chat touch on that especially when it comes to the refineries um the track record you know that that, that your members have uh with safety and and the community because it's one of the things that you hear from environmentalists you know the, the fact that the community is not safe around it and yet the track records don't
2: state that well look jet our, our goal is zero we, we want zero injuries within our facilities and we want zero process you know, uh, upsets, we want zero and we, and we strive for that. And like I said, over the last decade, you know, we're the top five safest places uh, to work, but we're never satisfied. Uh, we're always pushing. And, you know, it's important, you know, I went to a facility once and I was talking to folks about safety and they said, you know why we care so much? Because we live in this community. We, we live 150 yards from the front gate, my grandmother lives down the street. My kids go to school a half mile away. They're part of the community. Absolutely. And so if, if the community isn't safe, our workforce isn't safe, our families aren't safe. So I like to say they do it just because it's the corporate thing they do. And that's not it at all. They do it because it's the right thing to do for their families and, and for their communities. And, and if you go to the communities, I think you'll hear a similar story uh, from them as well.
3: well ironically, when, when the PES situation happened, the community was completely in support. Like you said, a lot of the individual—I mean it spent a lifetime, um, you, you know, working at the refinery. Their kids, their families, um, you know, live walking distance from the refinery. They were in support. Yet there were out-of-town individuals coming in, and you know, speaking louder by the way than you know, a lot of people that um, were in support of it. Um, the environmental left was just—you uh, know—we it, it, it created a, a situation that the after effects are still impacting.
2: Let's, let's Jay, I have to say that, you know, we, we talk a lot to employees here at AFPM and what we hear that our employees are so incredibly proud to work in the industry. They take pride in what they do, the products they make. We've created a program called Empower. I urge your listeners to go to empower.afpm.org and learn more about it. We give information to our workforce to how to talk about the industry. You know, what do we do? Why do we do it? How do you, you know, how do you engage? And I'll tell you when you, you mentioned at this top of your show to change the narrative, that's only going to happen when we get our 3 million plus workforce, all of ours, Kathleen, Dave's, mine, uh, all talking. They're the ones on the front lines. Like you say, uh, they're the ones we need out there uh, advocating uh, for, for our, our industries and our facilities.
5: If I, if I could just add one thing, Chet did a great job of describing how you know these, these facilities, these permanent facilities, are a part of the social fabric of communities. They've been there. They've been a part of the community fundraising for local charities. They've been a part of you know the Little League teams and everything else that goes along with it. And let's not forget, though, when it comes to the upstream side of the business, where folks are developing well pads, producing oil and natural gas, putting in pipelines, we're guests on other people's property, and we, we don't take that for granted. We understand that that's someone's, that's someone's property, and we take pride in what we do there. And it's, again, to repeat what Chet and Kathleen said, safety is our number one goal.
3: So having said that, uh, let's talk about, we, you know, you'll hear, and, and Joe Krause, uh, you know, we, we, we produce a, a, a segment, or, or, or it, there's little clips on our broadcast, Did You Know? Uh, and it's about what the public doesn't know that they should know uh, about our traditional energy resources. Uh, you know, so, so uh, those segments run during our breaks um, and one of them highlights the more than 6,000 products that come from uh, petroleum. Um, and I'd like to, you know, kind of go around the horn and, 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 and give you all the opportunity to create your own did you know? Um, so, you know, c- cause listeners, obviously, it, it, when it comes to and, and I'll go to Chet, you know, first on this, uh, you talk about the six thousand plus products that that fuels, I mean, it, 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 that, that products come from. Aside from, uh, you know, obviously, you know, our, our our fuels. Talk about that if you would, Chet, because so many people have literally no clue uh, what 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 our petrochemicals uh, comprise.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for the question, J doc You know, we around here like to say. We have a tagline, we make progress, or we make modern life possible, and you know it's it's more than a tagline. it's i mean, if you look around and I always point you know especially when I'm talking to younger audiences, I hold up my cell phone or you know you'll grab some you know the latest clothing and your jogging shoes or your you know your sunglasses, your computer, you name it it, it comes and it's derived from 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 our stuff and if it went away. Uh, we wouldn't have the modern life we have. So I'm always surprised, you know, the farther away you get from a refining country, how, how people don't fully appreciate that. But to, to really pay off your segment of something I want people to know, and that is, you know, our commitment to the renewable industry uh, and renewable electricity, for example, people don't realize that our products make up about half of an electric vehicle our products make up about a third of a windmill or of a solar panel. And so for for that, keep it in the ground, folks, you know, I love to ask him, well, if you keep it in the ground, how are you going to, how are you going to make this, you know, these products and very few people, you know, put that together. So
3: uh, we had a guest on that long ago and it was a clothing company. I don't know. I don't remember (laughs) the clothing company, but uh, the, you know, the, the, the energy company was ordering jackets from Thank the uh, you. and I'm sure that you, yeah, what by the look on your face, Chet, was that were we was no. that the show we did, Chet? That we talked no, about? No, it, it wasn't, but well, they, you know, I know right, what you're talking about.
4: Yeah, I so,
5: think Kathleen has uh, has a lot of information on that. <laughs>
3: talk, talk, Kathleen, talk about that. it, you know yeah,
4: you it, about? it was North Face, they denied yep. the. Yeah, it was North Face and uh, Chris Wright and Liberty kind of um, did a uh, tongue in cheek because they use so much um, oil and natural gas in their products. I mean, any kind of synthetic fiber is made from oil and natural gas. Um, I'd like to point out that, you know, since we were the, com- uh, the industry that saved the whale by replacing uh, whale oil with, uh, you know, use whale oil for energy anymore. But since that time, um, I don't think people understand exactly how much we enable um, other industries to be environmentally protective. So, for example, we need less land to produce our food on because natural gas feeds into fertilizer. And so less acreage has to be under under the plow, under cropland. More can be reserved and set aside for wildlife and conservation um, because we can get more um, yield from crops than ever before. And so more forests can, you know, have grown back about 14% in the United States overall. So we reduce footprint on the land as well.
3: And, and uh, I mean, you, you talk about things people aren't talking about, and, 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 and you, you, you gotta just shake your head. Uh, Dave Callahan, anything you want your, uh, want, want listeners to know uh, 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 that they probably don't know?
5: Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to a comment I, I previously made, and that is our country is energy secure. This is, this is something that we only achieved, what, four, four years ago, five years ago? Something that's been sought after for a long time. It's something that, that countries, the world over, are trying to achieve as well. Three billion people in the world uh, are in energy poverty. They either can't afford energy or lack access. To energy, or are using, you know, unsafe forms of energy. We have all that at our disposal. We have enough to support ourselves here, and support people, and bring people out of energy poverty worldwide as well.
3: Yeah, I, 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 and certainly, uh, you know, you, I think, uh, Chet, you touched on 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 renewables, and and one of the things, and I know, Kathleen, you're on a, on, a, on a hard stop, um, and, and so I'm gonna. Close with your segment. I mean, we, we, I'm going to go to you first, but talk about the importance of, of you know, it, it's so amazing, Chet. You talk about um, renewables and, 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 and our traditional energy resources, um, the, the need for our traditional energy resources with renewables. Talk about the importance, if you will, of our renewable industries and our traditional energy resources and industries working together um, as, as we move, you know, obviously to meet America's energy needs. Kathleen?
4: Well, you can't have wind and solar without backup because the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. And so natural gas is the best way to back up uh, renewable energy because um, our modern natural gas, electricity generating plants, they can be fired up and fired down quickly as opposed to, say, a nuclear plant or a coal plant. So we can more efficiently back them up um, so that we're there filling in the gaps. Um, but, you know, we we can be on 24-7 where renewables can't. And so sometimes the unrealistic expectations of renewables are causing people to... Um, demonize oil and gas, um, whereas really natural gas is, you know, keeping the lights on for your EV or, you know, your, your medical devices, your ICU for um, all the things we need 24 so seven. Before you go,
3: uh, Kathleen, one final question to you, and we'll continue with Chet and Dave for the balance only a couple more minutes, but um, talk about what you're proud of, of of, uh, of, of your members and your industry and what you bring to, the, to America.
4: I think it's, it's what we've talked this, uh, this whole segment, really, is all the benefits that we provide. You know, We provide a modern, healthy, safe, and environmentally protective lifestyle. Without us, the environment wouldn't be as protected. And we're working every day to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and reduce uh, footprint on the land and water use every single day. Really appreciate being on the show today. Thank you.
3: Appreciate having you, Kathleen, as always.
1: Kathleen Sagama is the President of the Western Energy Alliance, joining us here on our summit. We'll say goodbye to Kathleen and thank her, J. Doc, for joining us. Uh, I'll come back to you. We have about four minutes, J. Doc, to,
3: uh, uh, to wrap everything up. Yeah, I, you know I have to go to chat, and you know, you, t- you talk about the narrative. Um, the current narrative obviously pushes agendas like E.V. mandates without realistic discussion about the lack of critical minerals needed amongst other things for the EV batteries uh, to even operate the, the vehicles. Uh, desired shutdown of our share on natural gas industries and, and compliance regulations such as the renewable fuel standard, which we won't get to today. Uh, and you know, We talk a lot of, about policy on this show, and obviously we're not going to get to it today, but we all know what's going on with the RFS, um, especially if it's not remedied by June of this year. It threatens to shut down many of the refineries. Uh, and caused massive uh, job loss in the process, and of course, like Dave Callahan said, with caveat we're losing our energy independence in the process, and it's and it and it's it, it it's just the tip of the iceberg. We could go on forever, uh, you know. It, when 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 you talk about uh, you know those situations, uh, talk about and, and chat what it's like. We talk about uh, you know what our, our traditional energy uh, industries bring to our country, the consciousness across the board of not only energy, but also the environment and safety, okay? Talk about you know, what you face on a daily basis in regards to challenges. I mean, the President of the United States, the irony that he's claiming that we're not invested enough in our domestic energy while at the same time he's stopping leases and, and raising refiner regulatory costs while simultaneously saying he doesn't want you, want you guys around in 10 years. Talk about what it's like waking up to that, uh, you know, on a daily basis
2: and how we stop that narrative. Well, let me just say you're you're right. We we certainly, at least here, you know, in the nation's capital, uh, get a lot of mixed messages. You know, we get simultaneously the message of we, you know, you heard some of it during the State of the Union last night of, you know, urging us to put more back into the production of more oil putting it back into the refining. So we get that message with the simultaneously, you heard the president also say, well, you know, you should be around for maybe another 10 years, Yeah. right? Uh, and so look, what, what our, our, our members do right now for the most part is they, they focus on what they can control uh, and that is, you know, continuing to produce the fuels that both our country needs, our allies need, the rest of the world's need to do it as efficiently and as effectively as we can. Uh, What we at AFPM do is we do our best to to talk with, you know, with policymakers, with the public through shows like this. This is an awesome show, you know, to make sure people are at least educated uh, on the issues. And again, our message is dual challenge. We recognize that we need to, you know, continue to fight to be more efficient, more environmentally friendly, but we also need to continue to produce the fuels and the petrochemicals the world needs. I mean, look what the last year has shown us. I mean, I don't know who could look at what Europe has faced, what some other parts of the world has faced to what Dave said, you know, those that are energy impoverished. I mean, it's nonsense to think uh, that the world would be better off anytime soon without us. So we're just going to set about doing what we do uh, and meet that dual challenge.
3: Absolutely. Dave, we got about a a minute left. Uh, if you will, uh, you, know, you know, jump on, 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 on what Chad said and, 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 uh, and, and talk about
5: that. Well, here's a, a couple of thoughts, and I'll try to be mindful of your time. Um, number one, Chet did a great job of, of describing the challenges that the industry, from from wellhead to burner tip to refinery to you know dispensary, uh, what we face. We face large font, large font uh, headlines in the news every day, uh, and we're left with the facts. We're held to a very high standard. I would encourage your listeners to take a look at our website, marcelluscoalition.org. Chet's website, Kathleen's website, because we all deal in facts. That's where you'll find the facts. Look at our social media channels as well. And you know, more than anything, you know, Chet talked about talking with policymakers and trying to get the 3 million people engaged with our industry to speak with our policymakers. I encourage your listeners just to call up, send an email to their legislator, state, local, federal, and just say who they are, where they work, what they stand for. Make your voices heard.
3: Absolutely. Joe Krause?
1: That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Chet Thompson, president and CEO of the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. And Dave Callahan, president of Marcellus Shale Coalition, bringing this show uh, to a close. Also, special thanks to Kathleen Sagama, president of the Western Energy uh, Alliance. I think the best way to end the show, Jay Doc, is to uh, leave with the reference that Chet made earlier. Um, It's the uh, publication or the internal messaging put out, Chet, and I think you referred to it as empower, Uh, empower the workers and empower your members to be bold as they educate people uh, so the realization of what reality is remains um, and we remain energy efficient. Great stuff. Doc. i got 15 seconds for you. I,
3: you know, I, I think, first of all, I want to thank Jet, Dave, and Kathleen. And, and I think educating our political officials um, is just as important as educating our union members uh, and, 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 of course, the general public. A lot of politicians we've had on the show talk about their colleagues not really understanding the issues. It's vitally important. And again, I'll close out with this. It's not a political issue. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a union issue. It's a human issue.
1: That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Jade Doc and Krause. We'll be right back here
0: next week. Until next time. See you next time, everybody. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the engineers labor employer cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896 that's right, 1896 and specializes in welding, piping mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management and rigging design services for a free consultation call Neuter at 314-421-7600 Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing power generation and alternative energy get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600 The Eastern
6: Atlantic State's Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS Carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. PBF Energy. Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the Renewable Fuel Standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com/take-action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN Sanity and fix the Renewable Fuel Standard today.
0: Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre recorded.